As you already know, if you're a regular listener of the SSR podcast, I've always been a huge reader. Since I'm the host and producer of a book podcast, I guess that shouldn't come as a huge surprise. Still, while I often feel like I absolutely devoured every single book that was in my elementary school library, I am occasionally reminded of a title or series that I never quite made it to. One major gap in my 90s kid-lit consumption, the Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein. You'll hear more in the episode about why I never read these books back when it would have been age-appropriate for me to do so, but I'm happy to announce, 20 years later, that I finally joined the club. For episode 11 of the SSR podcast, I read the first book in the Goosebumps series. Published in 1992, it's called Welcome to Dead House, and it's the story of Amanda and Josh, a sister-brother team who has recently moved to the mysterious town of Dark Falls because their father received word that he'd inherited a large house there from a great uncle he had never met. I agree, the whole arrangement seems pretty shady. Soon after moving, Amanda and Josh begin to see ghostly children around the house. Their dog, Petey, is acting really weird. When the kids finally begin to make friends in Dark Falls, it seems everyone they meet has lived in their house at one point or another. In the climactic scene, the kids try to kill Amanda and Josh, Petey is possessed by ghosts, the parents are kidnapped and almost murdered in a graveyard, and Mr. Dawes, who he thought in the first chapter was just a real estate agent, reveals that Dark Falls is actually filled with the living dead. In moving to their new house, Amanda, Josh, and their parents were setting themselves up to be living dead too. I was lucky enough to have a true pop culture buff and diehard Goosebumps fan as a guest for this episode. Listeners, meet Sarah Slusher, who describes herself as a mama, wife, baker, reader, and smartass. She's really into donuts, inside jokes, trash TV, pizza, 48 hours, and George Michael. Sarah started the Really Into This blog as a place to share all her obsessions, books, movies, TV, cocktails, beauty, podcasts, and food. She now runs the site with a few friends, and I can confirm that it's a super fun place to connect with others about the things that you're really into. Check it out at reallyintothis.com, and follow along on Instagram at reallyintothis and Twitter at reallyintoblog. Before we get really into all things Goosebumps, please double-check that you subscribe to SSR, and maybe, just maybe, consider leaving a review over on iTunes. And remember, there's lots of fun, not-at-all-spooky content over on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We are jumping into the first book in the Goosebumps series. It's called Welcome to Dead House. And as you know, this was brand new for me, which I'm kind of ashamed to say as a self-professed book lover. Totally don't be ashamed. Don't. You guys have talked about so many books on the podcast, which I love. And there's been so many that I haven't read. And I don't know if it's like a an age deal, like maybe they didn't come out like at that time in my life. So I kind of forgot about them. But I'm like, God, what was I doing when you were reading that book? What was I doing? And I'm like, oh, that's right. I was reading Goosebumps or I was reading Fear Street. (laughs) I just also think I was like a very scaredy cat kind of kid. I never watched horror movies. I just like was never drawn to anything spooky. And I 
I was one of all girls, and I didn't really hang out with boys. There were no boys in my life, and I feel like as far as I knew, it was only, like, the boys in my school that were reading Goosebumps, and so there was just nobody that, like, was giving me these books and telling me to read them, which in hindsight I regret because, and we'll talk more about this, I really enjoyed this. Good. I'm glad you did. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. So tell me more about your history with Goosebumps, how you came to the book the first time, and why you decided to revisit it for the podcast. Sure. So I came to this book the first time. Actually, my mom ordered it for me. I have this like very, I don't have a lot of memories like that are super strong, but this one for some reason is really strong. I remember she ordered it for me because this was like a brand new series when I was probably like eight or nine or 10, somewhere around there. It was brand new through Scholastic. Like, you know, you get the old like paper. They still have those, by the way. Like my daughter still gets them. Oh, for the book fairs. Oh, yeah, for the book fair. So I, like, would go through and, like, circle. So I just remember she ordered this for me, and I, like, wasn't sure if it was something I was going to like. And we went on a family vacation, like, a weekend getaway. And I remember, like, my parents and my grandparents were there, and they are like, playing Monopoly or something. And I was just, like, sitting by the fireplace, like, totally engrossed in this book. This book is amazing. Like, I just remember it was I was a little bit scared. I liked the writing. It was like perfect level for me, not too hard. So I just fell in love with it and stuck with Goosebumps for quite a while and until for, I moved on to Fear Street. <laughs> which I, I didn't even know about Fear Street. And for those listening at home, I will point out that Sarah just pulled her book out and was doing a full-on reenactment of having her nose stuck in it. And she happens to have the old school cover, which I am extremely jealous of because I have the like shiny new one that I ordered from Amazon. And the one that you're looking at looks like the one that was in my elementary school library. Yes. No, I think it's from, I double checked because I was trying to get my like dates right for you. But I think it's from 1992. Yeah, 1992. Which so would have been the like, first printing. Yeah. So it, this is a good exact one that I had, and I had probably, I don't know, whatever like the first run of them was, I think I had all of them and burned through them and like obsessed over them. That's how I am in my life. I get like totally one-track mind. So I was like, as soon as I read this, I was all in. So you, do you read, are you the kind of person who reads in a series, do you read like back-to-back book one, two, three, four, and just go straight through? If I'm loving it and really into it, absolutely. I just... Like, it's like one track mind. But then when I'm done, I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) Bye. So then you came to Fear Street after. So for those who don't know, Fear Street was actually the first series that R.L. Stein wrote. It's intended for older readers. And then um, Scholastic approached him to do a series for younger kids that would become Goosebumps. So did you read Fear Street after Goosebumps when you were a little older? Yes. Yeah. I think I started with Goosebumps. I feel like I was eight. I think I was eight when it came out. Um, And so I started with Goosebumps, and then my first Fear Street book, I believe, was The Babysitter. It was a book that, like, everybody was talking about, and I was was like, oh, my God, I got to read this. I'm ready for the next level. (laughs) I'm ready for the next level or else I'm. Are they scarier, the Fear Street books? Are they substantially spookier than Goosebumps? Oh, yeah. They've got more, like, mature themes, right? So they've got like a little more like heavy, heavy petting, kiss, kissing, um, like murder for sure. And like some pretty serious subject matter, like killers on the loose. Like that's what the babysitter is about. It's like a killer on the loose. I remember like reading it and being like, oh my God, I love this, but I'm also completely terrified, but I can't wait to read the next one. That's pretty dark. 
it's pretty dark. And some were kind of sillier, but like zombies and but a lot of stuff with killers and evil and just like some dark stuff. But it just seemed like that's what everybody at like my age and my school, that's what we were all reading. And so we like it was a mad dash to the library to like get them and pick out which ones you wanted. And I remember when I wanted the babysitter, my mom had to go to like a million stores to find it. And then when I finally got it, it was like, oh, my God, this is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> that was like the Harry Potter craze for me. Like that was oh, yeah. that was sort of our thing of the book came out. And if you weren't at the store looking for it, you might as well not even bother coming to school the next day because that's what everybody else is doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I worked at a Barnes & Noble when like the Harry – like during Harry Potter when it was coming out. And I just remember like having – party staying up all night waiting for the release people in costumes and then like midnight here's your book go home and then people would be up all night reading it I think that's awesome yeah I think it's great too the th- and you were talking about your school library and even just looking at the goosebumps cover and holding the book in my hand reminded me of my library and I don't know what your school library was like but we had these spinner racks, and that was where all the series books were. So you had your, like, Babysitter's Club spinner, and you had your Goosebumps spinner, and you had your Saddle Club spinner, and everybody would be, like, running to the spinners, and you would see which ones were left. And I hadn't thought about that in so long, and even just, like, seeing this book come out of the Amazon package brought me right back. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember us having spinners. I like that, though. I like that setup. It's more, way more visually appealing. <laughs> right, of course. But then the librarians would always have to point out, like, there's all these other shelves of books. Yeah. Like, that was probably the classic books and the things that weren't as flashy. And nobody ever went there first. So luckily, I figured out that those shelves were there eventually once I burned through all the series, except for Goosebumps, because I never went there. I know you also have read Goosebumps with your kids. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about when you introduced these books to your kids and what the experience of coming back to them with your children was like? So I introduced them to them a little bit, probably when the movie came out with Jack Black, which actually is a really great movie. Um, So we've watched that movie a ton. And my daughter is probably like more on level with you. Like she doesn't want to do too much scary stuff or creepy stuff. And I'm like Halloween obsessed, love dark stuff. But, like, don't get bogged down in it. I'm like, oh, come on, it's fun, it's fun. So just only recently, probably in the last year, so she's nine, so probably about the same age I was introduced to him, has she started getting into him. And so they're a little bit creepy for her, but it's just fun. I mean, that's an awesome part about having kids is going back and, like, doing the stuff that you loved and then, like, reliving it again through them and hoping that they like it. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, definitely. Yeah. I am, um, as I've been doing all this rereading obviously for the podcast I'm reminded of the things that I loved and kind of keeping a mental log of what I'm going to want to carry on when I have children and it's funny because my husband has sort of blown my mind with the number of things that he hasn't read and I'm not quite sure how I miss that when we are getting to know each other and dating but like there's so many books that I read and that I feel like everybody read and he didn't and there's a part of me that's like well where were you what were you doing but at the same time I'm like it will be kind of cool when we have kids for him to meet those books for the first time alongside them for sure yeah no my husband is not not an avid reader at all like I think he'd read Tupac's biography and that was probably like it like (laughs) I'm like that's the only book you've read he's like nope I never read him in school just like got answered from someone else I'm like wow that's such a huge part of what I did is like sit in my treehouse with my best friend 
reading books and then reading them and then swapping them. And like, I was like, you ask for these, I'll ask for these. That way we don't overlap and then we'll have the whole series, you know. I'm so jealous you had a treehouse. It was really a tree platform. If it makes it any. (laughs) No, it was cool. Like, I just remember coming back and my dad's like, I built you a treehouse. I used to go to my grandparents all summer. I came back and he's like, I built you a treehouse. I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to see it. And I go, I'm like, this is one sheet of wood in the tree. This is a platform. You were envisioning like, like a castle of wood. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was envisioning like a roof, shingles, a window, like a bench seat. You know, that's just my imagination. But I made damn good use out of that platform. I was sitting there for hours reading. Absolutely. Talking about your kids, I thought it was interesting because in doing research about the Goosebumps series, the brand recognition for Goosebumps is still really impressive. And I think part of it probably is the movie, the Jack Black movie that you mentioned came out in 2005. The first book, which we read, Welcome to Dead House, was published in 1992. As of 1996, this series was earning 15% of Scholastic's revenue. I believe it. Which is shocking. And to this day, it's its highest earning, most popular series. But as of 2008, and again, this is three years after the movie came out, so I guess we have to take that into consideration. But as of 2008, it had 82% brand awareness among children between 7 and 12. And that surprised me because 2008's not that long ago. No. So I think it is 2015. But there's like little, there's little movies and there's a show too. Oh, okay. There was like a, so I'm wondering maybe the show. I think the one with Jack Black was 2015. But that doesn't surprise me. My daughter knew about it before she even read it. So I guess she had just like seen them. Well, and in know, some ways wild. that makes that stat about 2008 even more surprising because the movie absolutely. hadn't even come out yet. No, absolutely. Like that, I would consider that like a dead zone, which actually might be the name of a Goosebumps book. They had a TV show for a while that was, like, super low-budget, kind of. I mean, I think those are on Netflix, maybe. So I know that we've watched a lot of them. And so I'm like, I wasn't really looking forward to the movie because I thought the show was, like, I mean, a little lame. But the movie was good. Well, I guess by 2015, they had more resources to do, like, cool graphics and that kind of thing to make it a little less lame. Yeah, there's, like, an abominable snowman that's in it, and that made a huge difference. I mean, in a big-budget movie, like, studio movie versus, like, a TV show. My first impression of Welcome to Dead House, as a newcomer to the series, and I'm curious what your response to this is, and this is probably a topic for, like, a whole other episode, but as I mentioned, I thought about the series as, like, a boy series when I was a kid. And I think there's a lot of discussion to be had about that and about the way girls are socialized to read certain books and boys other books. But I was shocked to find that the protagonist in this book is a little girl. Yes, I know. I honestly had kind of forgotten about that. Um, I just remembered the two kids. But yeah, she is. Yeah, I just assumed, especially because it's written in first person, the narrator starts talking And I was like, oh, here we go. This is an 11-year-old boy talking. And then three pages in, you find out that, no, this is Amanda. And the boy character is her brother. But we're getting everything from her perspective. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. No, I thought that was really cool to be rereading it. And I read a note somewhere that R.L. Stein had actually intended the series to be for girls. Do you think that there at that time was like a need for a series like this that was maybe targeted toward girls? Or I wonder if it was just because girls... Girls seem to be series readers to me. I mean, you have the Babysitter's Club, you have Sweet Valley, you have Saddle Club, and I guess this would have come out kind of around that same period of time, so maybe the idea was to sort of just, like, keep keep that going with girl readers. It just, I don't know. Again, maybe it's my personal experience, but it surprised me. Thinking about it as, like, an eight- or nine-year-old, I honestly never even, like, that never crossed my mind. 
I felt like it, you know, obviously Babysitter Club geared towards girls, like boxcar children. I felt like it's kind of in the middle, maybe Saddle Club girls, right? But like Hank the Cow Dog, <laughs> that was like a big one. I felt like that was more, I don't know, like I just, I, I had a hard time kind of connecting with series when I was probably like that young. Hmm. I just felt like they were all, I don't know, like they were sad. Like I just remember reading like the boxcar children being like, this is kind of sad. Uh. Like I'd, I can't get I can't get down with this. This is like depressing. Oh my gosh, um, those kids could not get a break. No, they couldn't. And I'm like, I don't want to read about this. <laughs> like this, I, I want to read to be entertained, like and have fun. And I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he said he kind of geared them, or that the plan was to gear them towards girls. I feel like that's a better marketing technique, probably for them as well. Because I think you're exactly right. I think girls probably do read more series. Yeah, that was definitely the trend at the time in the early '90s. There's actually a book that's coming out about that. Oh, wait, tell me more. What's this book? It's a book that's coming out in October. It's all about 90s trade cover books and females. It's from Cork Books. I saw that somewhere on Twitter. Did you see it? I did, okay. and I freaked out internally about it. I'm like, going Allie, to get... will have to read this. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe we'll come back. We'll do another episode about it. I, um, I'm going to get the link to that and the title, and I'll include that in the show notes for people to check out. I think it's by out. Gabrielle Moss. That's about the only thing I can remember right now. It's Cork Books and Gabrielle Moss. Yes, and she is an editor at Bustle, and I've, yes. um, yeah, I've spoken with her a few times. She's great. I'm very excited to read that book. Very good call. I'm going to make sure that all of our listeners know about that because I think if you listen to this show, you would definitely be into that book. For sure. Something else that I was really excited about when I started digging deeper into R.L. Stein and the history of this series, particularly because, as you know, if you listen to this show a lot, so many of these books are like heavy with morals and heavy with like these kind of deeper seated meanings and symbolism. And R.L. Stein didn't want any of that in these books. He just wanted these books to be fun. And his number one goal was actually just to get kids reading. You saying that, knowing that? There's not a better book I could have read. Like, as a child, there's a reason why I fully connected with this book. My friends and I read a lot, and the things that I like to read are, I don't like heavy stuff. Sure, I'll read The Nightingale or and, and cry and be like, wow, this is a beautiful book. But then I'm like, oh my god, I can't read anything like that for like a while. Like, it just takes too much out of me. I just want to read something, be entertained, go somewhere else for a little bit, and then just come right back. So knowing that this is perfect for me because I don't want to talk about all that <laughs> well and it makes sense that the kid version of you would have liked it too yeah like I don't want to read boxcar children I want to read this like I want to be reading about ghosts and slime and monster blood and like I don't want to be reading about real stuff <laughs> yeah well I found a quote from R.L. Stein and he said people always ask what the moral is the moral is you have to run you have to run away I want kids to know they can pick up a book and be entertained. You don't have to be enlightened and you don't have to learn anything. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I need that in like a poster. <laughs> Maybe I'll learn to cross stitch so that I can cross stitch it for you onto yeah, a little pillow. That's so, I don't think I've ever, I haven't read that. I haven't seen that, but that is wonderful. That sums up my philosophy. <laughs> He's an interesting guy, and I remembered once I picked this book up that I actually saw him speak back when I was working in publishing. He came to the office for an event. It must have been around the movie. Now that whole timeline is working out in my head because it was probably around 2015, and he gave this whole speech. He's like this really funny, sweet man, 
And again, because I hadn't read these books, I didn't really know what to expect from him. But there's a quote that he said, and it stuck with me for three, four years. And he said, I never wanted to be scary. I just wanted to be funny. That was his dream as a kid. And I guess he'd actually been a joke writer before he started writing Fear I think Street. I remember reading that, like in the back, like in an author, a tiny bio. Yeah, which is just, I think it's so funny because he is the voice behind this series that has creeped kids out and spooked them and gotten them excited about reading for all of these years. All that he ever wanted to do was be funny. And the fact that he's the mastermind behind this hugely successful series, I think I read somewhere that it's the second best-selling children's series of all time. It's just kind of amazing when you really think about it. That is really awesome. His goal was really to blend humor and spookiness in his books. And um, I found that Welcome to Dead House was actually like more scary than funny and I felt yes. I felt better thinking that because he agreed. I read an interview with him somewhere that he actually thinks Welcome to Dead House is too scary. He thinks he didn't he hadn't quite gotten the formula right yet. He said I hadn't really figured it out yet and if I were redoing Welcome to Dead House, I think I'd put in some funny stuff and make it a little less intense. Would you say that's true having read the whole series? Yes. So, I mean, I read this. It's super dark. There's not a lot of humor in it and I mean, but that's what I loved about it. I mean, I love to laugh, but I mean, I love that it was dark. When you go back and read, like, about Slappy, like Night of the Living Dummy, Monster Blood, some of the other ones, there is more humor in them. And they do just have a lighter tone, whereas this one is darker, for sure. As I read a lot of these books and prepare to talk about them with guests, there are certain ones where I just have to ask myself, like, what's too much for kids and what's too dark and there was one scene in this book where I was like I think maybe he went a little far which was at the end when they're on the verge of watching their parents get killed that's pretty intense yeah that was a little heavy I was like "Mm, you know ghosts are one thing um a graveyard is one thing I guess your dog being possessed is scary but like manageable the fact that they were standing back and watching their parents be literally inches from death I was like I think maybe we crossed the line there or maybe that's just my own personal feeling but it that felt like a little much for me no I think that's I mean for sure for like an eight-year-old that's a pretty intense scene that I mean it doesn't last that long but it but it is and it is kind of like the climax of all the stuff that's building but that is that is a lot for sure I agree with you Yeah, and it kind of came out of nowhere for me because the rest of it was pretty tame. There were moments that were spooky, but I started to pick up on the clues that the parents were probably going to be in a situation of peril. And I kept thinking, like, he's not going to show that. You know, he's not going to show that. That's not going to happen. And then as we got closer and closer, I was like, oh, no, oh, shit. Like, we're going to see the parents almost die. The only thing I like about that, though, and I remember you guys talking about that on another episode, like with Matilda, is that... They're telling their parents, like, we're seeing this little boy. We're seeing these people in the house. Some freaky shit is going on. And the parents are like, yeah, whatever. And that's one thing I love about these type of books, is especially reading them now as a parent. And you get, like, a totally different view. I'm like, do my kids just think I couldn't care less, like, what they're saying or what they're doing? Just get out of my hair. I have stuff to do. But I feel like that then like allowed them to be, I don't know, like redeemed in some way. Like, no, yeah, we told you there was some shit going on here at this house. You guys chose not to listen. And haha, now you're in a graveyard about to be killed. And we're going to have to save you. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, I feel like that might, I don't know. No, I think you're right. And I think 
kids love reading about other kids getting to be the hero in any story. And oh, yeah. that victory was made all the sweeter in this book because the kids sort of had something on the parents all along. They'd always had the upper hand. They'd always been trying to convince their parents that there was something creepy going on. And the fact that in the end they were right and still got to save the day, I would imagine that that would be really satisfying as a kid. Yes, and these kids are, like, super badass. Like, when their dog goes missing, that was the part where I'm like, what is happening? The dog goes missing, and the little boy, like, wakes his sister up. He's like, get up. It's midnight. I'm going to the cemetery because I know that that's where the dog is. I was like, holy shit, look at this kid. This is unbelievable. I wouldn't do that as an adult. No. There is no way I would go look for my dog. I mean, I love my dog. I would not go look for my dog at midnight in the cemetery. No. Well, and especially because the parents were wildly unconcerned about the dog being gone. I mean, maybe- But again, I think it's just they're just absentee. Like, that's how he writes them is that they're just like these buffoons that don't – I don't know. I feel like that's a common theme in a lot of these books is that the parents are just buffoons and the kids are the heroes and the, the badasses. Yeah, R.L. Stein, I read a quote somewhere too where he was like, the parents in my books are always utterly useless. Always. <laughs> and I think especially with this book, the parents were going through this move and they were really distracted. The whole plot was kind of reliant on the fact that Amanda could excuse all of her parents' behavior by the fact that they were too busy. Like she goes upstairs and she finds all this laundry on her bed and she kind of explains it away to herself by thinking, oh, like mom's just super busy and she's too distracted with the move to pick up my laundry which a my mom never would have just like constantly picked up my laundry for me but b it sort of creates the situation where the parents aren't tuned into what's going on and so and I don't know if that's how it is in every book but it seems like he set it up so that there was a reason that the parents weren't going to be focusing on what was happening right in front of their noses no I think that's the way it's set up in a lot of them is that the parents are just too busy like they just can't be bothered by whatever these kids are getting into and it's a common theme like oh oh Timmy you're just imagining that oh no it'll be fine everything's okay and I mean you set it up exactly right it is reliant on the parents just being oblivious I mean they leave their home of like 12 years because they get a letter from some uncle that they've never met and they're gonna move to this town Dark Falls and live in this house and they just go Sure, let's uproot our family and do it. Sounds great. Let's do yeah. it. They are not winning parents of the year for that move. No. Moment. I did like that the parents were imperfect because I remember reading so many books, especially series books around this time, where it was almost like Beaver Cleaverish and the parents were so perfect and they got along. And I kind of liked that you had a little bit of this dynamic of the parents bickering throughout the book. They were not immune to the stresses of moving the mom was exhausted all the time. The dad was definitely feeling overworked, like in the yard and fixing things in the house. And I thought that was kind of cool because it felt very real to me. Like this felt like a family that made sense. The parents got frustrated with the kids and snapped at the kids occasionally. And the kids were like exasperated with the parents and the parents were exasperated with each other. And that is, I think, very true to life. And I really liked the older sister and the younger brother relationship. It reminded me of my daughter and my son that she did a really great job trying to harness him in, take care of him, and kind of making excuses for his crappy behavior. You know, he's like pitching a fit. She's like, oh, God, he'll be fine. Oh, he'll be this. Like, I, I just thought that she was a great big sister, too. 
I loved, and you referred to this briefly earlier, when Josh decides that he's going to go after PD in the graveyard. I loved that she believed him, ultimately, yes. even though at first she was like, I don't know, this sounds fishy. How do you know he's in the graveyard? And she went with him. And I think given the fact that so much of this book was about her trying to warn people that something was wrong and nobody listening to her and this constant feeling on her part of not being believed, the fact that she believed him and went with him, I thought that was really cool. And whether it was because she actually believed him or just because she wanted to keep him safe, I thought that was a really like interesting move on her part, and I liked it a lot. No, I did too. I thought that's a good sister. <laughs> like I said, I only have sisters, and I always love reading about a brother-sister dynamic just because it's something that I haven't experienced, and I just think it's really neat. I also liked that she was sort of the calm, rational one, and the brother was the basket case. Because I find that in a lot of kid literature, it's the opposite. Like you have this very calm brother figure and then a sister that's maybe a little bit more emotional. And I liked that she was the more level-headed one in the family. That is an interesting piece of the book, for sure. Yeah, and like you said, she's kind of a badass. Like at the end, she decides that they're going to lift the tree up in the graveyard so that they can save their parents. And she does it. I really like her a lot. I do too. No, she's really cool. She's just a badass. Badass kids. And I think from everything I've read about the series, that seems to be a theme. Something else that was interesting, and I didn't know when I started reading the book, was that every book has different characters and settings. I just assumed, like most other books, that it's like the same people, the same places all the way through. And then when I was preparing for the interview, I was like, oh no, every single one's different. Yeah, I think that's cool because it's a series, but it's get so many different like it's the same author you kind of know how the story is going to play out to a certain degree but you're getting different stories you're not getting tired you know like throwing it back to babysitter's club i really wanted to read dawn more than i wanted to read mallory you know so like you have your favorites and so this is cool because you know there are some some repeats of some characters i i really enjoyed it because you just get all sorts of different worlds and different people Are they all similar in, like, structure from what you remember of the other books? Like, are there a lot of similarities between them? From what I can remember, I think so. I mean, they kind of start off, like we talked about with the parents, kind of being absentee. Just seems like like the kids were just doing all sorts of stuff. You can't write books like these with helicopter parents. It just doesn't work. Mm. Um, So, I mean, the kids were always doing crazy stuff or, you know, getting into something. But a lot of them are lighter. But, I mean, I feel like they all kind of take that similar path of introducing them, getting a feel for it. Something happens and then you get this climax towards the end and then it wraps up pretty quick. Yeah, the end really tied up very quickly. I remember getting to a point where I I think I had like 18 pages left. I was like, I still don't really know what's going on here. I think we're going to have to finish this pretty soon and all of a sudden it was like in the last five pages you had that final revelation about what was actually going on in the in the town and it was like a very nice like all wrapped up and we understood everything which is refreshing and as an adult reader that's not something that we get in a lot of books is that nice neat resolution no that was really nice like venturing back here I read this book recently how to Walk Away, I think, by Catherine Center. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but people are like, oh, the book's predictable. I'm like, yeah, well, it's fine. It's, it entertained me. It's good enough. It's good enough for me. 
But at the end, she wraps up everything. I mean, you get to like, here's the book end, and then here's what happened in the next 10 years. I know a lot of people are like, well, she should have left room for, like, it would have been nice if she should have left room for a sequel, or that was kind of crazy how that all wrapped up. I'm like, oh, I liked it. Because then that way it's like, oh, okay, yep, story done. Put that to the side, move on. And I think that's how these guys are too. Yeah, there doesn't always need to be a sequel. I feel like our whole pop culture landscape now is so driven and I, you know I'm sure it's like financial decisions on the part of publishers and film studios but I feel like in almost every piece of pop culture and I'm sure you can speak to this pop culture buff that you are there's always room left for one more story or like one more extension. absolutely there's endless I mean there's endless stories there's endless worlds and places to be explored it's, and I know that some people really love living in it but you know what's funny to me is that these are a series, and we you were talking about like girls reading series. I read Babysitter's Club, I read Fear Street, but Fear Street is just like this, where it's all these different stories. There's pieces of some that are like a three book series, a four book series. But I'm thinking about that as an adult. I really don't read a lot of series because I I'm so non-committal. I want to read all this different stuff. I did think the ending of Welcome to Dead House was kind of interesting, and I'd love to talk about that with you a little bit more. So before we get into the ending, I will kind of refresh listeners on the premise of Welcome to Dead House for those who haven't read it. Basically, this town that they've moved to is full of the living dead, and I will read a quote directly from the book explaining the nature of this house that Josh and Amanda have moved into. It says, this is the dead house. This is where everyone lives when they first arrive in Dark Falls, when they're still alive. So there's sort of like this mysterious town, and every year they invite a new family to move into this house, which the living dead community calls the dead house, and they do so under the lie that there's a distant family member of this new family who is gifting this house to them. And then once they move into this house, they are killed under some circumstances that they can join the living dead and help to allow that community to continue to thrive because it is sort of powered by blood. Again, this is like pretty dark for a guy who says that he doesn't write dark books. Um, And Mr. Dawes... When you say it in that way, it's dark, yeah. yeah, it's pretty dark. Um, And Mr. Dawes, who is... And I think it's funny that he is um, set up at the beginning as, like, the realtor. And ends up, he seems like he's maybe, like, the mayor of the town of the living dead in a very creepy way. But he says, this was a normal town once, and we were normal people. Most of us worked in the plastic factory on the outskirts of town. Then there was an accident. Something escaped from the factory. A yellow gas, it floated over the town. So fast we didn't see it and didn't realize And then it was too late and Dark Falls wasn't a normal town anymore. We were all dead, dead and buried, but we couldn't rest. We couldn't sleep. Dark Falls was a town of the living dead. So super creepy. And then Josh and Amanda managed to save their parents from being made part of the living dead. And as they're leaving town, the implication is that there's like a new family moving in, which I think is kind of cool. It creates this sense of continuity, but I'm also like, Josh and Amanda, maybe you should warn them. Maybe you should try to, like, pull them into your car. I agree. I mean, I wish they would have at least said something. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny. I mean, they're funny. just, like, driving by, and it's like, is that Mr. Dawes up there with a the clipboard? And is he, is that a new family? Is this happening? Oh, it couldn't be. Car speeds away. Yeah, it just, it was, they had just gone through this, like, very harrowing experience. And I get that, obviously, their priority was to save their family. But I just thought it was funny that there's just this, like, last page. And they're like, oh, great, like, enjoy the town. Have a great time. 
I guess that's just how he ended it. I know? loved it. I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, if they would have said something, but I kind of like this ending a little bit more. It's, they were just saving themselves, getting out of there, and that's it. And I mean, who can blame them? You got to do what you got to do sometimes. I did think that the premise was really cool, this whole idea of a town that had been poisoned by a mysterious gas. Because obviously, like, halfway through the book, once Amanda and Josh start catching on to the fact that there's these kids walking around town that are, like, definitely ghosts, I was trying to figure out from about halfway through, like, what was actually happening and what was really going on in the town. And I didn't figure it out. And I I thought that that was, that's a sign that, like, this premise was really cool and smart. And I enjoyed that a lot. I did, too. It's been so long since I read it. There was a part at the beginning where... Mr. Dawes, the realtor that helps them get the house, he's going outside and it's really sunny. And so he like puts on a black hat and they make like a note of that. And I thought, black hat, black hat, it's summer. Is he a vampire? Is he this? Like my mind just started racing. Like, what is he? Oh my God, I forgot. Like I can't, you know, cause I'm serious. It's been so long since I read this. I just remember loving it. It kept me guessing yeah. throughout. Well, that's a good point. Cause I remembered the black hat too. And the black hat also had me guessing from the beginning because it was so obvious that we were supposed to take note of the black hat. And honestly, until you pointed it out now, I hadn't really thought about it again. That's why there he was blocking the light. I thought maybe it was just some sort of a signal that he was like this dark figure and kind of like a weirdo creep guy. But yeah, he was just trying to block out the light. How do you think this book might be different if he was writing it now? I think the note you made earlier about helicopter parenting, like it would be hard maybe for a lot of people to buy into a story like this now and parents, I feel like, tend toward helicopter. Um, But is there anything else that you think might be different? Like could he go darker or would he have to go less dark? What do you think? I think it would be less dark. I think it would be less dark. It would be helicopter parents. I, I just, it, it is dark. I mean, it's marketed towards, what, eight, nine, ten year olds. And it's pretty dark for them. If he were to maybe even make it more toward like 10, 12, I feel like he'd go a lot darker now because yes. because kids in that age group are so used to video games and action, violence, heavy movies. But I think you're right, in this age group, for like the 8 to 10, 8 to 12 variety, I feel like kids are more sheltered. Yes. I would 100% agree with that. Says the mother of two. Um, yes. <laughs> and mine are not sheltered. So no judgment if they, if yours are. Mine are not. So I don't have any problem with mine reading this. This is probably too dark for her. She probably, you know, I don't think she would enjoy it. Yeah, it would be hard for her to do as like a read aloud with her kids for sure. Yes. Have you, having read it yourself as a kid and then coming back to it, talking to your kids about it, do you think that you have come to like appreciate it in a different way or come to relate to it in a different way? I think I probably appreciate it a little bit more. I mean, I, like I said, I just have a really clear memory of reading this and really falling in love with it. I still love thrillers. I love ghost stories. This was around the time period where I really fell into reading and really had no qualms over, like, I feel like there's some judgment in reading, like, especially as adults. Um, Like I said before, I read stuff that I just, that's an escape for me. So this was my introduction of an escape. So it's got a really great memory tied to it for me. Uh, And then it's just really fun to go back and read it with my kids. Like I said, my daughter is 
I forget which one she's reading. She's reading a different Goosebumps right now because I knew that this one would probably be a little bit too much for her. Mm -hmm. Do you read Stephen King or have you read Stephen King at all? I've only read a few of his. I've read uh, Misery. I read Joyland. I read Pet Cemetery years ago. But I don't enjoy that dark of stuff as an adult. Hmm. I don't know why. That's interesting. I mean, I certainly have not, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm not good with scary things. But I read this story somewhere about how a magazine at one point called R.L. Stein a training bra for Stephen King. And it became this whole joke. And I guess several years later, R.L. Stein then ran into Stephen King and met him for the first time. And Stephen King was like, I hear you're a training bra for me. And R.L. Stein was like, yeah, I'm not really that fond of that nickname, but like, haha, you're right. But yeah, I mean, I have friends that are really big into reading horror and, and reading Stephen King specifically. And I'll have to ask them if they are big Goosebumps readers, because that would make sense. I found this really great quote from The Globe and Mail. And um, the author said, The books introduced a generation of readers, such as myself, to both the genre's basic tropes, the haunted house, the creepy basement, the creaking floorboard, and a roster of stock characters, ghosts, graveyard ghouls, vampires, mummies, werewolves with doctors, and wisecracking ventriloquist dummies. So this idea that, like, this is where you learn how a horror book is supposed to be structured. And this author is also talking about how this series was such, like, a turning point for people of the generation who are, like, coming of age at, at that time and how it's, like, perfect for Gen Xers because there's this sort of, like, irreverence about it and this cheekiness and how that's, like, really lingered in people from, from Generation X. Oh, I agree 100%. Yeah, it's um, – it, and, and I haven't really thought about it, but I really don't read a lot of horror. But one of – that exact quote that you read about the creepy floorboards and kind of the ghosts and just that chilling – you know, vibe and that scariness that runs throughout. There was a book I read recently, The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. Mm. And it was the closest thing. And I mean, I went nuts about it and like posted on my personal Instagram, a book review and like connected with a lot of people about it. So I'm like, this is the type of book that I want to read because it's got, it was like an, are you afraid of the dark for grownups? Oh, where it wasn't it was you know and I and I forgot I've read it as well which is very long but that is just too dark for me overall I really liked misery but most of it's just too dark but I just want like a little bit of suspense and scare and a little bit of supernatural and that's what these books offer that's what fear street offers and I haven't really found a lot that offers that as an adult Hmm. Yeah, I think that's true and I also feel like if you're an adult that's reading a horror book or reading a book just for the fun of being scared. You're kind of looking for a different kind of scariness. Right. There is a writer who writes for Bustle who wrote sort of a personal essay about the experience of coming back to Goosebumps. And she was writing about how, as a kid, obviously, she was more afraid of the ghosts and, like, the bumps in the night and monsters hiding under the bed. But as an adult, coming back to it, she realized that R.L. Stein was really good at making everyday things feel spooky and that the way that he describes even a house or a street, like those are the things that were really chilling to her as a grown up. And I think that's really true. It's like as an adult, you obviously know that the bumps in the night aren't actual vampires and aren't real monsters under your bed. 
but a really great horror writer knows how to describe things, everyday things, in a way that feels very scary and like much more real to you. Yes. I want to read that article. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll include a link to it in the show notes and I can send it to you too. Um, she was talking about how she came back. I think she read a few of the books in the series and she tried to recreate the experience of like hiding under her blanket with a flashlight the way she did when she was a kid because that's how she'd read the Goosebumps books the first time around. And she was saying how she didn't expect to be scared and just thought it was going to be like this easy experience. And she said because she was reading them late at night and again, these everyday things were described in such a scary way, like she was legitimately spooked by them. No, there were some parts in this that uh, I read this book on a like Sunday morning, like just sitting and just burned through it. Yeah. And there were some parts that were super creepy. I mean, just the description of the house mm-hmm. and knowing someone's in your house and not knowing who that person was or why they're there. That's like, hello, my biggest fear in yeah. life. <laughs> it's like somebody being around and watching me. So just that little stuff, but you're right. That can be found in kids books and young adult. And it is, it's, it's different than just using these supernatural characters. That's the fearful thing it's it's the everyday stuff that's a good point that i hadn't thought about although i will say when the ghost was hovering overhead that was creepy scary and then when like the half dead kids are closing in in the circle i was like okay no that's scary it was like very children of the corn which is terrifying everything with the dog really freaked me out oh yeah and i think that's just like brilliant though on this part even when the guy like Ray's like oh yeah dogs know first it's like mm-hmm. if a kid reads that then every time and my daughter's the same way because she watches ghost hunters and so like <laughs> her dog is standing and looking what's he looking at what's he looking at is that an orb I'm like no that's a glare you know right. like it's but that little stuff like that I feel like those are like little nuggets that really like rein you in and the kids hold on to and they carry them through in the rest of the series. Yeah, and kids, I think, are also so in tune with animals. And even in the beginning of the book, when they first moved to the new neighborhood and they were talking about how Petey was going to have to start walking on a leash, and the kids were so upset. They were like, no, we don't want Petey to have to start walking on a leash. That's so unfair. And so immediately you felt just how much they loved him. And so then when he started acting strange and eventually acting possessed because he'd figured out what was happening with the ghosts you really like knew that that meant something because they obviously were so attached to him. Yes. He was a spooky dog at the end. I I would imagine, was that scene like played out similarly in the movie? How close was the movie to the book? Because I would think that that scene with the dog could have been really terrifying with 2015 technology. So the movie brings in like all of the characters. Oh, okay. Or not all of them, but a lot of them. And this family move now I'm gonna watch the movie tonight because now I'm like obsessed with reading this I'm telling you that's how I am once I get started down a track it's like nothing's getting in my way it's everything and then I'm like okay now I'm done for like three years if Uh, anyone's looking for Sarah over the next three weeks you can find her hold up in her house reading goosebumps and maybe watching the movie as well Absolutely. And come on over. We've got popcorn. <laughs> come on over. We've got popcorn and a projector. The movie is like this family moves to Dark Falls. They don't know anything about it. It's I think the woman's like going through a divorce or the father died. I can't remember exactly, but they move next door to these to this family. You have to watch it if you haven't. It's really good. But they there's all sorts of characters. This guy that and it's the guy from Thirteen Reasons Why, Dylan oh, okay. I can't remember his last name. But I really like him. He's a good actor. He comes in he just starts noticing all this like crazy stuff that's happening in the city of dark falls. And then 
you meet, there's like a culmination of this an event, and then all these characters are released from the Goosebumps book, where oh, like cool. the book kind of comes to life and all the characters. Oh, that's um, awesome. Are in the city. So it's like a Ghostbusters vibe kind of type thing, but it's, I think it's really well done. I thought it would be kind of really cheesy because again, the TV show was pretty lame, but the movie's pretty good. Well, and Jack Black plays R.L. Stein, right? So it's sort of this like framing thing of, of him being the author and then yes. all the so story playing out. Yes. I don't think you know that like when you first start it, but then there's a whole nother twist at the end that I totally did not see coming that I'm like, what? Yeah. In case it's not already abundantly clear, you have made me a Goosebumps fan. I'm so happy. I know. And I honestly think before we did this, I don't know that I ever someday when I have kids would have encouraged them to find Goosebumps for no other reason than it just wasn't part of my like personal experience. But you've totally changed my mind on it. And I'm really glad you did. I'm so happy because like when I listen to your show, like I said, there's books that you guys have read that, again, I missed out on or I just I thought this isn't for me. And the way that you guys talk about them, I'm like, oh, well, if they like it and it's got these themes. So there's been books that you guys have talked about, like Sloppy First. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to go back and read that. That sounds that sounds like something I would enjoy. So the feeling is mutual. Good. Well, now that we've given Goosebumps the SSR treatment, hopefully a lot of people will want to come back to it. I think I know what the answer to this question is, but has this experience of revisiting Welcome to Dead House made your heart love the Goosebumps series all the more, or has it made you a little bit less fond of it? It has made me love it all the more. Absolutely. That's the answer that always makes me happier. I know that I can't be held responsible when people (laughs) get angry at characters like Nancy Drew, but it always is nice to know that I've made somebody's memories of their childhood even fonder. Yes, absolutely. I thank you. I needed the push to go back in and read it. And like I said, this was my favorite one. So I was over the moon to read it and discuss it with you. It's not every day you can talk about reading Goosebumps with an adult. (laughs) Yeah, and like get really into it. It's so fun. Yes, Um, So changing the focus and maybe talking more about something that you've read more recently as an adult, is there anything that's been on your radar over the last couple of weeks or months that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Um, Well, I kind of already talked about it, but The Broken Girls. Okay. If we're on the spooky subject matter, I loved The Broken Girls. It was like an Are You Afraid of the Dark for grownups. And I was obsessed with Goosebumps, obsessed with Fear Street, and obsessed with Are You Afraid of the Dark. So... Me saying that is like the biggest compliment I can give to a book. I loved that book. Um, I could talk about it for forever. I like that we're staying on theme and you're you're keeping with that um, spooky track. Yes, I mean, but again, I had a I feel like I've had a really hard time finding books that are like that. Two other books I really loved recently were The Kiss Quotient. I just finished that last night. Super steamy! Oh my god. I need to laugh. <laughs> I wish like everyone listening to this podcast could see your face right now. <laughs> I'm blushing just thinking about it. Okay, so I was a little disappointed in the book itself. And I don't know why. I think I've been seeing it everywhere. And so maybe I had really right. high expectations. It's the expectations are up here. Right. Yeah, and the writing was like good, not great. And it was pretty predictable. But I have never really read like a real romance before. I haven't either. And I thought it was just like chick lit, you know, like your usual boy meets girl. I was like, this is such like a classic chick lit cover. This is like normal. They'll be kissing and, you know, there'll be implied sex, but that's it. And that's not what it was at all. No, it is explicit. And, you know, I was reading it and I, just as you did, I even wrote this on someone's like Instagram page the other day. 
I read on there like contemporary romance. Yeah. I thought that I mean that's a fancy word for chiclet. Like that's that is what it is. And I love chiclet. Nothing wrong with that. And I'm reading it and I just was like, holy moly, like this is intense. I wound up really liking it because I really liked the story arc that the main character is like diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and it was predictable, but I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. I, it was it was a great few hours of my time spent. That book, had I known, it, it really made me feel like an asshole. Because had I known how much, like, sex and how explicit it was, I wouldn't have read it. And so I'm like, God, I'm an asshole. And I would have missed out on this book I like just because it's not something that's in, you know, my everyday realm. Yeah. Uh Yeah, I really like that. Another one I just finished. And this, like you said, that quote earlier about um, Goosebumps and what it does. I'm I'm serious. I'm going to, like, my best friend growing up. I'm going to send that quote to her. Like, I'm going to put it on a coaster for her. She reads stuff that's, like, really deep, makes you want to, like, get really depressed mm. and, like, crawl in a hole and die. I'm like, I'm not about that. Bummer. I, no, no thanks. But there's another book series I just started reading. The first year, it's uh, Sweet Tea and Sympathy. Mm. So cute. It's like a party planner <gasps> that has this huge fiasco in Chicago, fired from her job, and someone contacts her from her estranged father's family in, like, you know, BFE, Georgia, they say, you know, hey, honey, come down here and work for us, work for the family at a bait shop slash funeral parlor. Oh she has gosh. no other options. So she does it. And her dad's there. And it's you meet this whole town of like kind of wild. It's like Gilmore Girls in the South, like Stars Hollow type deal. I loved it. I laughed out loud. I thought it was sweet. It had a little bit of romance. I was like raving about it. Like my friend Jessica's like, that sounds terrible. I'm like, Go back to reading your depressing shit. <laughs> I wish that I'd picked it up for my beach trip next week because it sounds like such a good summer read. It is. And there's there's already book two. So it's Sweet Tea and Sympathy. And then book two, I believe, stays with the family mm. in Georgia. and But it's like a different member of it. And it's called Ain't She a Peach? And the author is Molly Harper. And I, really- I like the way you say it with your little Texas twang, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. I can't help it. <laughs> no, I like it. It makes the title sound all the better. Good, but those are really good. I knew you'd come in with some great recommendations. I'm going to include links to all four of the books that you mentioned in the show notes along with the link to pick up a copy of Goosebumps. Welcome to Dead House for those who want to rediscover it or, like me, fall in love with the series for the first time. I'm also going to include a link to Sarah's blog, Really Into This, which is awesome. I love it. I just love meeting people that are as into pop culture as I am. And um, I would definitely check out the blog and also all their social media is really awesome. So that's something you should check out for sure if you like pop culture like we do. And Sarah, I'm so grateful that you agreed to be on the show. It was so much fun talking to you about Goosebumps. And again, thank you for giving me a chance to read this for the first time. I'm thrilled thrilled that you loved it and thank you so much for having me this was a total blast to revisit this and I love listening to the show so thank you oh of course I'm glad you love it and um, I hope that you keep listening and loving it happy reading thanks bye Allie bye thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. 
If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.